Welcome to the Forum on the Pursuit of Holiness. I didn't realize after I put this down that there was a book called Such by A.W. Tozer, somebody told me. But um, we hope that uh, what we cover today will be uh, really, if it's an eye-opener, uh, really beneficial for us as we go home from camp and, and um, try to live the life of Christians as lights and salt as we heard already so many times this week. Uh, before we do uh, begin, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Loving Father in heaven, the word says, Only thou art holy. O Lord, but thou hast called us to be holy also. Thou art perfect, and thou hast called us to be perfect also. Father, we pray that as we would look into thy word and see what thy word has to say about being holy, what it means, how we are to do it, that thy Holy Spirit will be our teacher this morning hour and that every one of us may leave this room changed. We pray and ask these things and thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, I mentioned at the uh, morning announcements, um, Brother Mark Varga, two years ago, uh, took a survey of the youth at camp, I believe it was, and uh, asked many questions. Uh, he submitted these questions to the elders for our uh, review and information to see, you know, where do we stand? Where do some of our youth stand? Or I would say a majority of the youth uh, that had responded to this survey. And um, this is the beginning. I hope it's not the end. This was the, uh, this was the uh, survey that was taken in 2005, but presented. Was it presented, Brother Mark? Did you present this as well? Um, and I'm going to use some of this data just to, to kick things off. There was 141 surveys collected, as uh, mentioned, 62 converted, 79 unconverted, 80 females, it looks like the females are more honest or they were more numerous that day, uh, 61 males, 38 females converted, 24 males converted, and these are the age groups, I'm not going to read them off, you can read them for yourselves, and uh, over 25 there's only two, but you get a good idea of at least where the teens are standing and some of the young people. This is not uh, in any way, this is a generic, of course, result. We're not, we don't have names appended to these things, so you don't have to uh, cringe or be worried about that. question was asked, and I'm, the reason I'm doing this is to hope that the, the rest of the, form, uh, the forum would have a greater impact, have more meaning as we go through it. Heaven is guaranteed for Christians no matter what. Okay, 84 disagreed. 80, that was 60%. Uh, 70 of those percent were converted. 52 were unconverted. That responded uh, that they, they disagreed. That means, um, I believe that means 30% agreed that heaven is guaranteed from the converted side and uh, almost 50% uh, agreed that heaven is guaranteed no matter what you do as a Christian. 
The Bible is relevant for today's culture. Life, problems and issues. 86% agreed, uh, 13 were unsure, and they were all unconverted. That may not be surprising. The Bible is clear that homosexuality is a sin. 94% uh, agreed, 5 were unsure, and those 4% were all again unconverted. That's, that's a good sign to hear, to see. There are discrepancies and contradictions throughout the Bible. Uh, 90% disagreed, that is 64% disagreed. 11% converted, agreed that there are discrepancies in the Bible. 40 were unsure, that was 28%. Challenges and struggles. And these questions, if I can just uh, step back a bit, were asked in the past year, okay? So back in 2005, between 2004 and 2005, they had to answer these questions. What happened in the past year? So just to get the frame of reference here. Watch TV, movies, play video games, surf the internet, uh, 61% are of the converted, they all said they do that, 100%. 80% of the unconverted, 80 of the unconverted said they do that. So 100%, all of us have done these things in the past year. And we're not saying that that is wrong in itself. We're just giving you an idea of the communication that is going on between the media and us. Listen to secular music, music videos, etc. 52 converted said they listen to secular music, which is 85% of the converted, and uh, 72 or 91% of the unconverted listen to secular music, music videos, etc. Okay. 53 uh, have frequent use, 22 converted, 31 unconverted. So I guess that statistic, Brother Mark, means that... Uh, uh, um, 85% have listened to secular music, but 50, what is it? 53% use it frequently. Is, how, how, how would that statistic? Oh, sorry. 20, sorry, I didn't see that. 22 converted, watched or listened to secular music frequently, whereas 85% had at least listened to it once, okay? The use of obscene or foul language. 32 converted, 52% of Christians attending this camp, of, of, the, of those surveyed, uh, have used foul language in the past year, if we can talk in present, present day. Uh, 51 unconverted, 65 there's not much of a difference between converted and unconverted in that one, is there? And 13 have frequently used, three of them frequently use foul language. They admitted that on the survey. Now, I'm not even sure how many questionnaires were handed out. Was it, was it 200? Close to 200 were handed out, so 60 did not return. So that's why I said this morning, statistics. You know, how accurate this, are these statistics? Were there really more, but some were afraid or ashamed or embarrassed to return their survey because they didn't want to, they felt guilty about it. Um, and uh, th 
we've covered that one. Gambled or bet on something. Ten converted, gambled or bet on something in the past year. I don't know what that was. It just it could have been a lottery, could have been who knows what. Card games, I don't know. Uh, 16% of the converted gambled. 32% of the unconverted gambled or bet. Uh, that was at least once, okay? And then the, the four were frequent, okay? Zero converted, but the unconverted, uh, those four, did it frequently. Got drunk. 11 converted, got drunk at least once in the past year, if I can use that, if the statistics are today the same as they were two years ago or worse. 18%, that's one-fifth almost. 23 unconverted. That's not much different than the converted. Five, frequent use, zero. So it looks like it was a one or two-time event for the converted, but uh, the unconverted, it was frequent. Viewed x-rayed or pornographic material, 14 converted, 23 percent of those converted that responded viewed or pornographic material, x-rated. The same as the unconverted. Okay? Frequently, three did it on a regular basis, a frequent rate. One on a regular basis. The unconverted did better here than the converted. Uh, Brother Mark gave me an interesting comment yesterday as I sat down to discuss a little bit with this. He said at some um, of these Baptist conventions, or I'm not sure if they're Baptists or Promise Keepers, was it? Uh, when hordes of these Christians come into town to these big, uh, uh, what do you call it, crusades, whatever they are, that the the sale of pornographic material doubles in that city. 200, 200%. So those porno stores are just eager and waiting for the Christians to come so they can sell their wares. Now, the Bible talks about a lot about holiness in... Um, the Old Testament and the New, you will see many things that God has called holy. The holy city. I'm sorry I didn't get one of Jerusalem here, but something similar. Uh, we talk about the, the, the virgins, the pure virgins, those that came with their lamps full of oil. We talked about uh, the holy apostles. There's some, I, don't know, I don't know who the artist was. I just picked it off the internet. Uh, God calls us holy. God calls his apostles holy. We talked about, or we can read about the holy place in the temple of Solomon. And just think about what God told Moses first to do in the tabernacle and then what God told David and further after that, uh, his son uh, Solomon, who actually built the temple, how to build it and with what specifications to build it how particular God was with the material that went into 
the tabernacle and the temple. If you really study uh, the tabernacle, you will see that the way the tabernacle was constructed was God used, if you would you, uh, uh, say, less precious material the further he was away from the holiest place. So on the fence, for example, the wall that surrounded the tabernacle, it was made of, of some cloth, I forget, was it linen? Uh, um, they had uh, brass footings for the, p- the pillars that went up, and as you went to the top, I think they were they're made of silver and so forth. And then as you got closer into the tabernacle, then you changed to gold, to gold-plated uh, uh, wood. And, to, uh, and then when you got into the holiest of holies, they had pure gold from one piece where they beat out the, 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 the mercy seat and, and, the, seraph and, and the cherubs that, that sat on top of the mercy seat. And it, it, it was a picture to us that we need to keep things that are profane, profane, that are secular, secular, and the things that are holy, we need to keep them holy. Very simple picture, and God doesn't change. So the holy place was a place where the priests would come in and do their courses, trim the lamps, bring in the shoe bread, uh, uh, bring in the incense onto the uh, incense altar and so forth. And, uh, and then you had the holiest place of all, which is the the interior, that cube when, where God would descend and meet with Moses in, in the tabernacle and where the high priest would go in and once a year offer the, the, the atonement offering. So God um, means what he says and says what he means. God calls us saints. And it's not this, this, this um, image that you see in many cathedrals and, and other uh, liturgy where you see this halo above somebody and they have this holy st- uh, stance and stained glass windows. But he calls us saints because we have been sanctified. You don't have to wait till you die to be a saint. But you need to live as if you are sanctified and I am sanctified. How do you become holy? You know, I don't know if any of you uh, have read a bit of church history and there has been many attempts in the past to become more holy. People feel really filthy inside, you know, they, when, when they feel so short of God's glory and they, they, they realize their guilt, their sin and so forth and, and they go to all kinds of measures. There was this one man called Simon or Simeon Stylites and Stylites is, is I believe, the Greek word for pillar. And there were a group of uh, these monks that wanted to become recluses and hermits and, and punish themselves in some way to feel more holy in God's sight. And this one, in particular, was very well known. Um, he, went on, he, he got on top of a pillar that was something like 20 meters high. It was about 2 meters by 2 meters uh, uh, in dimension. And he lived there, literally lived there for six years, six months, and six days, if I'm not mistaken. And people would come to him and seek for counsel, for advice. Uh, even as far as, if I'm not mistaken, kings and emperors would come to him, or at least kings would seek for advice from this holy man. Um, the picture, the photograph on, on 
the left is actually the remains of one of those pillars. And it, it became a fad. It became that people imitated him and got on top of poles and pillars and, and that's how they would become holy. Literally closer to heaven and further from the earth. Now we often hear these three terms. and There, there may be more, but we hear the term holiness, righteousness, godliness. So we ask ourselves, what is the difference between those? You know, if I, I was tempted to have a video interview of some of the campers to see on the spot, what do you understand by, by these terms? But I knew that you'd be shy to be seen on the screen here, so I, I, I uh, forewent that. Holiness, righteousness, and godliness. Righteousness means uprightness in the sense of adherence or conformity to an established norm. You have a set of rules. How closely you adhere to those rules, you become righteous, okay? Um, in biblical usage, righteousness is rooted in covenants and relationships. And you hear a lot about how Noah was a just man or so-and-so was a righteous man and so forth, right? Um, because of the their, their covenants that they had with God. They are actions, it, righteousness is actions and positive results of a sound relationship within a local community or between God and a person and his people. So we're going into covenants and relationships and it is the fulfillment of the terms of a covenant between God and humanity or between humans in the full range of human relationships. That's the, uh, biblic, the, the Bible dictionary uh, uh, gathering of thoughts of what righteousness is. One thing that I want to bring to your attention right now is righteousness in the New Testament is not something that somebody earns. Okay, right off the bat. Righteousness, according to the letters of Paul and the other uh, uh, writers, is something that is imputed to you. Something that you are given by somebody else, in this case, Christ. So keep that thought as we go into uh, problems in our striving for, uh, for purity, for holiness. Godliness is more of an attitude, a mindset, okay? It's an attitude and style of life that acknowledges God in all that we do. Ever, anyone heard the, the book, The Practice of the Presence of God? By Brother Lawrence, okay? My friend from Australia sent it to me when he started seeking God, when I was talking to him on the phone, and he started reading this book, and he was so fascinated that this Brother Lawrence... Uh, Everything that he did, and I'm, 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 I think there was another man too, Francis of Assisi or somebody, no matter what he did, whether he was sweeping the floor or whether he was out in God's creation, he would always be aware of the presence of God. Okay? So godliness is that, is that consciousness and awareness of God's presence. Um, it's inner piety, spiritual maturity, and so forth. Uh, it retains a sense of respect for God and divinely ordered institutions. So you, now you can see how it's somehow merging into holiness here. We're going to get into that in a second. So, holy. The word holy or the word holiness. We've all heard the term uh, set apart. When someone is holy, he's separated or set apart from sin unto righteousness. Okay? It's, the terms used in the Bible uh, speak of utterness exclusiveness, um, different, distinct, special. So 
when you see that God said that this is holy and this is unholy, because God said it, you have to treat it with special uh, respect. And uh, if you look at how God uh, differentiated between the clean and the unclean in the Old Testament, for example, you know, I've often heard the reason God said that the pig was unclean was because he's dirty. You know, it's unhealthy, the fat, and all that kind of stuff. That is why God separated them at the pig as being unclean. Well, God never said anything of the sort. Can you read in the Bible where God said the pig is unclean because it is an unhealthy animal and they never had salt in those days and things like that? God never said that. He said... I'll tell you what is clean, what is unclean. And if you contravene that law, you violated God's law and you suffered the consequences. So, because God said it, it should be good enough. Number two, the other dimension or shade of holiness is that it gives the, the, the concept of perfectness. It transcends the earthly. It's spiritually and ethically pure. This is perhaps the most common understanding of holiness. When someone, if I were to ask someone on the street with a microphone, what is holy? And they'd say, oh, it's keeping yourself pure, basically. And that is a big part of what I would call today practical holiness. Practical holiness. As opposed to being a saint in a stained glass window, being practically holy. Holiness also evokes, calls out, veneration, respect, awe, and the Holman definition, I think it was Holman, said being frightened beyond belief. Now you can think of perhaps some instances in the Old Testament, for example, uh, Jacob, when he met God twice, at least, right? And he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And you can uh, see Belshazzar when he was... Uh, feasting and drinking and, and getting drunk, and he saw the handwriting come on the wall, and it says he knees knocked and his stomach just went sick and, and he f fell down dead. Confronting God, confronting the true holiness of God, should be frightening beyond belief. God said to Moses, no man can see me and live. I think he said that. <laughs> That's why he hid God's, uh, Moses' face. We said, I'll pass by you, you can see my hinder part, but you will not see my face. The last uh, shade or facet of holiness is being filled with superhuman and potentially fatal power. And I think what I just said last about Moses and God not uh, allowing himself to be seen is, a, is, is an example of that. There's another example when Peter and John went into the temple uh, at the beautiful gate and when they healed that man, they asked that man to raise up, rise up and take up his bed. Um, they said to the people around them, do not think that we have done this with our own power and holiness. So right there we see some element of power uh, that God has and gives to us. Simply put, holiness is to be like God instead of like the fallen world around us. Why do we be holy? I think we've covered that. God commands it. In the Old Testament, and especially the well-known one in, you, in the New Testament, be ye holy, for I am holy. I think this second one needs to be a really good uh, motivator for us, and that is 
We cannot see God without it, as specified in Hebrews 12, 14. Without which no man shall see the Lord. It identifies us with God's children, and you will see in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says there that, for they verily... Uh, sorry... In Matthew 5.48, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father is in heaven is perfect. And after saying this, in, he goes on in further in verse 45 and says, ye, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So we need to be identified as the children of God by being like God and being holy. In Hebrews 12.10 it says, For they verily for a few days our earthly fathers chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So be holy so we can be partakers of his holiness. God, fourthly, wants us to be um, holy so that he can impart to us this uh, holiness to, and so we can reflect it to a lost and dying world in 1 Peter 2.19 and in uh, Philippians 2.15. Okay? So, we need to be witnesses for God. And the way to do that is by being holy. Now, God wants all of me. We remember we talked about holiness means, one shade of that is exclusivity. And, and we may relate this better if we consider ourselves those that are married. Your wife, your husband is yours exclusively in that relationship. And to give yourself to someone else is adultery. It's sin. It's a violation of the sanctity of marriage. And when we give ourselves to God, we give ourselves exclusively to Him. Your whole spirit, soul, and body, that it may be preserved blameless until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it possible to be as holy as God wills us? You know, we talk about some of the disciples, when, when Jesus asked them to, to do some, certain things, when he, he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you know, you cannot see the kingdom of God, or you cannot be my disciples, you can't do They said, who then, you know, this is impossible, this is a hard saying. Who can be saved? And, and all these questions come, came out. And is it possible that we can live holy lives as God expected us? Would God ask us to do anything that he didn't expect us to fulfill? I think we all can say that he wouldn't ask us anything that he wouldn't expect us to be fulfilled. Uh, verse in the Old Testament says, In the highway shall there be a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. You know, God has made it so simple that you can be holy. A fool can be holy. And we need to become fools as as, as Paul says, in order to become wise. Biblical examples that have gone before us that are proven. John the Baptist was a just and holy man. Paul demonstrated it in 1 Thessalonians 2.10 where he says, how unblameably and justly we behaved ourselves among you. Um, 2 Peter 1.3 says that God has given us and equipped us with all things that pertain to life and godliness. It is not impossible or unreasonable to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. Yes, on our own, it's impossible. But with God, it is very possible. Why should we be holy? What motivates us to be holy? The promises of God, the love for God, and the fear of God. In 2 Corinthians 6, 16-7-1, it says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. He's quoting Old Testament scripture, valid today. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all unfilthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God's promises, not only for heaven to come, but on this earth should be enough for us to motivate us to be holy. The love of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself as he is pure. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. The love of God... When you see Christ hanging on the cross, the innocent Lamb of God, the Son of God who left His glory, who came to the earth and hung on that cross, dying, His mother weeping, His friends weeping, His father turning His face from, from Him, and you see Him hanging on the cross, how much He loved you and me. Shouldn't that be a motivator? Shouldn't that be a reason to say, I fear to hurt my Lord, as Joseph said? How can I do this thing? It's not a fear of, of retribution. It's a fear of, it's a fear of hurting the one that I love the most. That, if that isn't the, the greatest motivator, for those that love God, it's the greatest motivator, that we fear to hurt our Lord and Master. And then there's the fear of God. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, we've read that, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In 1 Peter 1, 15 to 17, it says, I'll read you the second verse only, and if ye call on God, on the Father, who without respect of persons judges every man according to every man's works, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, this, this, issue, this, this concept of fear has been played down. You know, I, mean, I remember talking to somebody in the world um, about, you know, my responsibilities as a father is to raise our children in, in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. And they said, fear? No, come on, you shouldn't raise them in fear. But they don't understand what kind of fear that is. It's this, this awesome respect of God. Yes, of his retribution too. Because the scripture says that the law was made for the lawless and God's law condemns. And if you choose to, we'll get into that a bit later on, if you choose to walk out of God's grace and to, 
to say what's wrong with this and to act lawlessly, you will be judged by the law. That same law will judge a Christian. I don't know if anybody of you remember, we had a forum, Brother Edmund and I, back in 1999 or 2000, on learn to discern, okay? So I'm borrowing some slides from there because they're very pertinent. What is unholy? Um, The scripture gives a list of, I would say, principles uh, that cover many, uh, many situations in life. The scripture gives these lists, for example, in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. What is unholy? Adultery, giving your love to someone who does, to whom he does not belong. Fornication, any form of sex before marriage. Uncleanness, sexual impurity or pornography. Lasciviousness, sensual lust. Idolatry, loving anything above God. Witchcraft, seeking power of demons, not God. Hatred, absence of love. Variance, quarreling or arguments. Emulations, keeping up with the Joneses. Wrath, bad temper, fierceness, strife, conflict, seditions, divisions, heresies, factions, envyings, ill will towards others, wanting what they have, murders, not having to kill a man, just hating that man. And someone once said, you've already killed him in your heart. I thought, wow, what a powerful thing. When you've killed someone in your heart, it means it's another term for hatred. Drunkenness, losing control of the mind, hurting self and others. Just before we came, a young mother was snuffed out, her life 36-year-old. Her son was sent to hospital with brain damage in Toronto because of a 56-year-old painter coming home from whatever it was in the morning drunk. I mean, when you begin to see that you hate sin, revelings, wild parties. Now, this one I'm beginning to see more and more of in our circles. And I'm going to stop there. What has replaced the fellowship that I know of old, and I'm not saying it never happened before, when the young people get together, what is the usual um, way of, let me say, socializing? What, is the, what, what happens? I've seen, and, and, and this has been brought up before, you know, on Bebo, on Facebook, on MySpace, whatever it is, all these internet chat lines and displays, display sites where you see Christians and in every picture just about they've got a beer in their hand and they're near a swimming pool or whatever. They're getting together and they're having a great time. I'm not saying they're getting drunk, but I'm saying that statistics are saying, was it 23% got drunk in the last year? And I, don't, I forget how many did it on a regular basis. And then when, you, when we do get together, how do we get together? You know, how do we come dressed? What are we coming there for? Is this what God wants of his people? Is that the image that God wants to have on the internet where the whole world can see? Our Christian youth, engaging in things like that. I'm not saying it happens all the time. The scripture, the, the, the statistics show it doesn't happen all the time, and it's not everyone. But at work, when, when there is a fatality or a bad accident, they say it's one too many. 
And when we see statistics here where 23% of our Christian uh, children are engaged in things like this. So revelings was not something that is uh, uh, just something that Paul was addressing the Corinthians with. It's especially a problem now with our youth today. And, and when we do that, do we have this, this uh, consciousness, this godliness, this, this mindset and attitude that God is here? Do we love him? Do we fear him? Do we want to be a reflection to others of him? I, I'm saying this because we need to have a wake-up call. And you know what? You can hate me for saying that. I really don't care. If you think that I'm a legalist, I really don't care. But I want to read you something that, that um, John Wesley said. I forget what era he was, 1700s? This is what he said back then, at least 200 or so years, 300 years ago. He, he wrote a document called Holiness is Not Legalism. And this is the biggest lie that's coming out of evangelical Christianity today. Because we are saved by grace. Listen to what he said about two or three hundred years ago. No one who is not saved from sin can be saved from hell hereafter. No one can see the kingdom of God above unless the kingdom of God be in him below. Whoever will reign with Christ in heaven must have Christ reigning in him on earth. And yet, as sure as this is, and as clearly as it is taught in the, every part of the Holy Scripture, among all the truths of God, there is probably none which is less received by men. Yes, professing Christians invariably invent one way or another to get to heaven without holiness, in the place of holiness, some have substituted penances, pilgrimages, praying to saints and angels. Thousands of professing Christians have no doubt but that, by diligent use of these things, without any holiness at all, they shall see the Lord in glory. They think that that's what's going to happen. However, Protestants will not be satisfied in that matter. They are convinced that whoever leans on such things leans on the staff of a broken reed. And I'm going to skip because it's long. However, other Protestants recognize that such nominal Christianity is not sufficient. That is going through sacraments and attending church and things like that, as we've heard last night, even inspiration now. They correctly say that such a religion does not stand on the right foundation. However, they go on to say that Christ has already accomplished and suffered everything for us. They say that his righteousness is imputed to us, therefore we need none of our own. Since there is so much righteousness and holiness in him, there needs to be none in us. In fact, they claim that to think that we have any holiness or to desire or seek any holiness is to renounce Christ. 300 years ago. That from the beginning to the end of salvation, all is in Christ, nothing is in man, and those that teach otherwise are preachers of legalism and know nothing of the gospel. What evasion, what hath Satan done? He hath persuaded that very man who receive it to turn the grace of God into licentiousness. I think lasciviousness is the King James Version word for that. This is indeed a blow at the root of, the root of all holiness and true religion. The whole design of Christ's death was to destroy the works of the devil. But now this is overthrown in one stroke. 
John Wesley preached to 200 and something thousand, sorry, he traveled 200 and something thousand miles on horseback to save the souls of men. And he had, even in his days, those that saw cheap grace. Let me, did I skip something? Principles of discernment. This is a slide again from our forum before. What can we do? Because we don't have a, we don't, we're not like perhaps the Jews that have their Talmud and for every little thing they can look up is it good or is it bad and so forth, right? But we do have principles that will guide us into what is right and wrong in God's sight. Do what we do, does it promote or put down these things? Does it promote occult, new age, sexual immorality? Does it promote violence or hatred, deceit, stealing, rebellion, profanity, greed, dissatisfaction, the partying spirit, gossip, sensationalism? Does it put down God, sexual purity, the value of human life, honesty, integrity, respect for authority, contentedness, moderation, kind communication. When we look at these things, we can easily assess a situation or an activity. What hinders us from being more holy? And we've touched a bit on that, but I'm going to cover some more um, things that we uh, are deceived by, perhaps. The first thing is, we have a very, and, and when I say we, I'm not saying all, I'm just speaking just in this uh, first person plural, we have a very light view of sin. We may not really know what sin looks like. And there may be reasons for that. There may be reasons for that. We look at other Christians, we compare ourselves. If the majority think it's okay, then it must be okay. In other words, many of our members do not think that our church's view of sin and worldliness is accurate. And we are too narrow in our views. I think that's true. I've heard it, that we're just too narrow. Look at what they're, they're Christians and they're doing it. Isn't that the response, uh, parents, when you tell your child, but why are you engaging in this activity? They say, well, so-and-so is a Christian and he does it. My friend's a pastor. My friend's father is a pastor and he does it. And that's how we, that's how we measure whether we're right or wrong, whether it's pleasing to God or not pleasing. If it pleases somebody else, it must be pleasing to God. Thirdly, we act like little Catholics, believe it or not. We got big sins, we got small sins. It's okay to do the small sins, stay away from the big sins. We really belittle Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We often say that if it was just for you that Christ would die, if it was just for this one sin, Christ would have came to die for your sin mine. We may have a low view of God. We may view God as a grandfather. You know, it says in, in the book of Acts, I think Paul of Mars Hill says, you know, um, God in times past winked at these things. He put a sort of blinders on. He, he sort of winked at your ignorance. Oh, leave it go. I know you're, you're, sin, you're bent on sin. You were born in sin and so forth. And we think that God is still that grandfather. Like the grandfather will come and play with the children and they can spill this. They can, he'll give them candy when the mother says no. And then they can love them and leave them and leave them to the parents to deal with the aftermath, right? God is not like that. At one stage, he did wink at our ignorance. But he says, now he commands all men everywhere to repent. 
We forget, and now we're bringing in this concept of, of the fear of God. We forget that punishment, God's punishment for sin, is everlasting. It's eternal. A million years does not put a dent into our punishment. Now, I believe this point, too, has been very lightly viewed because we view more, or we want to view more God's love and goodness to us than God's punishment. He's not like that. And that teaching is becoming more and more prevalent or appealing. We really do not understand the grace of God. Some are satisfied with lower standards because if we are saved by grace, it does not matter how we live. And that's exactly what John Wesley was saying. We tiptoe to the edge. You know, we come to the edge and we say, how far can I come close to sin without falling off? You know, curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity can also kill us. Romans 8.13 says, if we live after the flesh, we're going to die. Look, look it up for yourself. Don't, don't trust me. I misquote things often. Romans 8.13 says, if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. And he's speaking to Christians. In Romans 8, it talks about Christian liberties. Romans 8, Romans 9, even into Romans 10, Roman, uh, sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 and 10, Romans 14 and 15, all talk about Christian liberties. And we really appeal to that. That is so appealing to us. God is, uh, someone mentioned about the limits that God puts on us the other day. And because it takes away the limits, we disguise what we want to do and put it under the umbrella of Christian liberties. It's a liberty that God has given me. And there are liberties, I'm not knocking it. But a liberty is not watching an X-rated movie. That's sin. A liberty is not overindulging in alcohol. That's sin. Jesus, or God says in the Old Testament, Woe unto you that call the things that are holy, unholy, and the things that are uh, 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 unholy, holy. The things that are clean, unclean, and the things that are unclean, clean. And it's all under the guise of, it's my liberty. I have the freedom to do that. If you would read further on in the Bible and in, in, in Wesley's uh, response, he says that this is a guise for sin. And this is the freedom that Christ has given us in Galatians 5, I believe, he says it's a freedom from sin. We have been liberated not to do what we want to do, but we have been liberated from sin. Some think that there's the other extreme, okay? There's the other extreme. Be mindful of both extremes. Some feel that they need to put these limits on, and they put artificial limits on. They go to the other extreme that you can't do anything. Touch not, taste not. Right? Colossians 2. And we become like Simon Stylites. We crawl up on a pole. We isolate ourselves. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, what a testimony it is to your unconverted friend. When I became a Christian, I couldn't do this, and I couldn't do that, and I couldn't do this, and I couldn't do that. And you sound such a powerful revived Christian, and he wants to be exactly what you are. 
right? I thought someone had their hand up. That's the opposite, and we've seen the effects of that. took many, many years, but we've seen the effects when man puts his own rules in and limits what God has freely given us. So you can be also thinking you're holy, what the Bible, I think, calls a voluntary holiness of some sort, called humility or piousness. But in fact, you're, again, violating God's law on the other shoulder of the road, if you will. Philippians 3.12 talks about we being apprehended in that section of Philippians. We were apprehended by Christ. Why? So we can apprehend others for Christ. And we have not yet reached that perfection, that, that, that state of holiness, but we are striving to reach that. And we press on because we belong to Christ, not because we want to belong to Christ. Because we are Christ, we press on. The attitude is different. Subtle, but different. God is working in us. You know, there are many of these, as, as Wesley uh, rightly uh, noticed in his time, there are many who appeal to grace and say that it's all of his grace and holiness, and we don't have to do anything. We can be very passive in, 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 our, in our walk. But God is working in us, and we need to cooperate with God. Believe it or not, God depends on our cooperation. It's a synergy, a working together. We are God's husbandry, and we work together with God. And that also happens in, in sanctification, the process of being made holy, that we need to work at our salvation in free and trembling. And many of the once saved, always saved, don't like that one because it means work. You see how they... they they uh, cringe at, 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 and, and retract at, at something like that because it means we are working. But it is practical holiness that God requires of us. We have a lot of internal resistance. We, if we are not growing, we are dying. It takes energy and effort to overcome this tendency. It takes discipline. And thirdly, we are hindered because we live in the flesh. I'm, I haven't even... Uh, I don't think I'm supposed to advance this slide yet. Okay. It is hard to work and to, to resist. The Apostle Paul talks about the, the struggle of this flesh and the spirit, but we are weak in the flesh. We are engaged in a warfare. Sometimes we may think that we deserve a little worldliness as a reward after being good for a while. Ever, ever had that experience? Right? You've strived all week. You've been good all week. And now at the end of the week, you deserve something good, some treat. Like you're on a diet, right? All week you've starved yourself, all week you've really panged and, and had a hard time. And then at the end of the week, I'm going to get myself a big Sunday. You know, God wants us to rest. He wants us to relax, but not to indulge in things that are unholy, but to prepare us for the next week. You see, there's a difference in the rest. That's why many may feel it's the end of the week, I've been good all week, I've witnessed to this person, I've done this, now I'm going to sit down and watch a good movie. doesn't care what the ratings are. 
And even then, even if, even if it was G-rated, the question is, do you have something better to do with your time? You see, holiness is not, staying, not just staying away from the bad things. Holiness is making good use of your time, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And our, we need to recoup, not because you know, we, we can have indulge in a bit of the bad stuff, but rather prepare ourselves for some more good, uh, good uh, works for God. How holy is holy? Look at this, okay? I don't know how, how often we read this verse, but this is what God says how holy we need to be. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And I like that word naughtiness. You're like, naughty, naughty. <laughs> no. In the Greek it means wickedness. It means wickedness. So it's not naughty, naughty. It's wickedness. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and widows in their affliction and to keep himself, what? Unspotted from the world. Not one spot. There goes our theory of uh, enjoying ourselves at the end of the week. I can live with a bit of worldliness. How holy is holy? Keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. We need to hate sin. You know, many times when I'm counseling, I ask the person, do you hate sin? That father who has been left a widower, and maybe even childless by the time we get back to Toronto, he's going to hate drunk drivers or what they do. And the reason, because now it is evident to him the, 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 the fatal uh, sin of drunkenness. And until something happens in your life, when you realize how you were deceived by Satan, you may not View sin as that evil, uh, that wicked. It's not just naughty, it's wicked. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present your, you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever. We talked about grace versus the law. When was the last time someone came to you and said, Dear brother, what can I do to be more holy? What has, always been the, what has always been the question? What's wrong with doing this? I'm going to pose a question. There's something that uh, I, I learned a few years ago. A brother mentioned this, and it really stuck with me. When someone says, what can I, you know, what's wrong with watching this movie? What, in effect, is he doing? What's he appealing to? Is he appealing to grace, or is he appealing to the law? Any guess? The law. He's appealing to the law. Where is it written? What does the law say? He's not appealing to grace. Isn't it amazing how 
the, the, those that appear so much to God's grace and forgiveness and love, when it comes to doing something that is questionable or dicey, they always go to the law. Think about that one. Think about that one. How can we be more holy? Take time to be holy. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Of Galatians 5.16. We need to spend time in the Word of God. This is the part of holy that is being set apart. Jesus set himself apart. He went up into a mountain to pray by himself. Jesus said, go into your closet and pray to your Father in heaven. Uh, accountability to the brotherhood. One thing that is precious about our brotherhood, and maybe it's becoming less so, is that we really emphasize accountability. We can be free to go up to a brother or a sister and say, brother, sister, I just saw this. Explain that to me. But now... Sad to say, when that is occurring, the parents come in, they step in, as, as, as we've heard many times of the pulpit, and say, don't you touch my daughter. Don't you touch my son. Look at what the other person's doing. The approach, as Matthew 18 gives us, is not because we hate, it's because we love. It's because we love. We care for you. You should care for me enough to approach me. And, and, and doing so, you show that you do love me. We need to have a willingness to be corrected. I've sort of put these categories, I made this up, maybe helpful to, as, as, a, as a little reminder. Um, in, in holiness, the, the facet of, of being separate, we need to be in prayer and fasting. Fasting is a, is a strange word to some. Someone said diet is die with a T. Fasting is a strange word for some. Fasting is biblical. Fasting is effective. I, I'm not going to say it works because it's some kind of a fad that, 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 that we need to uh, adopt. Meditating on God's word. You know, how do we know? How shall a young man cleanse his ways? And he talks about that in Psalm 119 by meditating on his law. We need to have this, uh, we need to be separating ourselves from the earth. We live on the earth, but we are citizens in heaven. Our affections should be in heaven. We need to practice what we preach. You will know his doctrine, whether it's of Christ, whether it's of God or not, if we do his works. Jesus said that in John 7. We need to have this Christ-mindedness, this godliness, this attitude, and separated, we need to be identified. And, and I'm not going to, again, some people say you're legalistic, there you go again, outward appearance. But I want to tell you that a few years ago at camp, I met a young man as he was down and out at Juniata, and I, I said, how's it going? He said, I'm having a great struggle. I said, what's that? He said, I'm getting all these lustful thoughts going through my mind. I said, does it help when you see girls going past you very scantily dressed? He said, no. Go ahead, hate me. But it's the truth. When God tells us that we are not to tempt him, he also means don't tempt your brother and sister. When we put a stumbling block in front of our brother or sister, or whoever it is, we, 
in some ways are partakers of that sin because we set them up. We've become an offense, a trap to somebody else. Happens with the guys too. You want to show your six-pack or whatever. Same thing. I'm not picking on the women. We become an offense and a, and a, and a trap. Is that the holiness that we want to reflect to the outside world? Hating and fleeing sin. This is the aspect of purity. Remember the example of Joseph. And you know, we are not going to be perfect. And once we do sin, we need to repent. That's something that not many congregations or not many denominations really preach or emphasize. Repentance. We repent before conversion. We continue a life of repentance after conversion. It hasn't changed. We need to watch our lips. We think that what other people don't hear keeps me clean. As long as other people don't find out, as long as you know and I know, I feel pretty clean. But we know that the, that the tongue is a, a, a weapon that is very lethal, James 3 says. It sets on, on fire the course of nature. The entertainment... What are we watching? We went through that. What are we listening to? Male-female relationships. You know, many have fallen because they went to the edge thinking that they can handle it. And that moment, bang, it slipped. And there are great consequences for that. Sensual dress, we talked about that. Guys and gals, are you a stumbling block? for your brother or sister or for the world. Reverence. We don't talk a lot about that. We talk about being, you know, someone again said this to me before, you know, some people like to portray themselves as being cool Christians by the way they dress, by what they listen to, by the car they have and so forth. Cool. You know, just being Christian alone is cool. You don't have to add a layer that was, that's going to tarnish the real image. Being a Christian alone is cool. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Be different. Let him laugh. We're a peculiar people. We're not supposed to run to the same excess as they do when they think it's strange. Respect for God's word. You know, oh, where am I? Biblical language. What I mean by that is, how do, we, how do we throw around? Do we, do we talk about God as the man upstairs? That's, to me, that's sacrilege. You call, a, you call God the man upstairs? That's sacrilege. God is not a man. The Mormons think he was. And he became better. And then we can do the same and become God. But the, the, the language that we use, just because we don't want to offend anyone at work, we use euphemisms and things like that. We've got to be very careful. Respect for God's word, how we, how we treat it, that we don't use it for jesting and for, for making jokes. You get these jokes on the internet, you know, what, no, why Noah had this and why so. And they have all these funny things. You know, this is what it means about reverence, and it's part of, somehow tied to separate, exclusive, it's special. Talk about respect for God's children, for each other, because we're made in God's image. Respect for the family esteeming others higher than ourselves, and respect during services. Why is it every time someone goes into a service, the first thing they do is 
chat, 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 chat. During the service, they're always talking back and forth. Is that cool? Or are you focused on what God is saying to you? Or don't you believe that God is speaking? The power. Now, this one I had a hard one, so I sort of put a few in that sort of resembles the power. At least I haven't seen a lot of it today. Healing the sick, yes, I've seen that. Boldness, that's power. People during their persecution, during the war and so forth said, where did you get the power to say no to the military when they were going to kill you? Uh, Intercessory power when you pray for others. Going the extra mile, doing the thing that the world wouldn't do. Turning the other cheek and resisting the devil. There's power in that. And I call this the beginning. This is not the end. This is the beginning. That we reevaluate ourselves. That we take God seriously. We take sin seriously. And that we can become better lights that can shine for God's glory.